Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. one of those lines uh, growing up where when she said it, you it made you like pause because you were trying to figure out how you were supposed to do what you were being told. Like, watch your head. Okay, I can't watch my head. Like, what are you saying? Watch your head. Watch your mouth, young lady, was, um, so, was something that I heard and it gave me pause. What did my mother mean when she said, watch your mouth, young lady? Um, do, you, do you have that kind of uh, memory growing up of a time that your mom said something like that to you. Well, <clears throat> I'm not his mom, but I'd like to say it. Uh, Mr. Biden, watch your mouth. Twice in the last three days, the former vice president and Democratic hopeful for the 2020 presidential race has invoked God in response to journalist questions. Now, he may have done it many more times than twice in the last three days, but twice in the last three days, uh, the secular media has reported out uh, on two different occasions, two very high profile uh, comments by the vice president, former vice president, uh, invoking God, or at least saying God in response to questions that he's asked by journalists. So last night to Stephen Colbert on CBS's The Late Show, uh, Biden said regarding his VP pick, I honest to God don't know who, I promise you right now. Um. Three days ago, Biden's headline quote regarded a question about uh, President Trump, who uh, who has admitted to uh, that he's taking uh, hydrochloroquine. And when Biden was asked about that, Biden said, what in God's name is he doing? Okay, so uh, it wasn't that long ago, uh, back in March, March the 2nd, uh, when the former vice president was trying to quote the Declaration of Independence that he that he just tripped all over himself because apparently he didn't want to make any reference to the creator God um, in in trying to quote the Declaration of Independence and yet not reference the God who is uh, referenced therein. Biden said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by the, you know, you know, the thing, the thing. Okay, so for a guy who says God a lot in other contexts, uh, who uses God and references to God when he does not want to answer a direct question or when he wants to assure you that he is telling you the truth in this circumstance, um, which would be, you know, if you have to say, I honest to God don't know or I honest to God anything, then um, what are you saying about all the other things that you're telling us when you don't lead off with that assurance? So for a guy who says God in a lot of other contexts, it seemed as if in the Declaration of Independence, um, quote, that he either forgot God altogether or he couldn't bring himself to say God when the reference was to the truth of God as the creator of all. So let me be clear here. This is not a comment about anyone who is red or blue, political uh, or otherwise. 
This is commentary about the fact that invoking God and invoking the name of God matters to God. It, it, it doesn't matter if you and I think it's a throwaway line. It doesn't matter if you and I think that we can casually reference God um, in our text messaging, you know, with OMG. It doesn't matter if we think it's okay to uh, deflect answering a question by, uh, by saying, you know, what in God's name was someone doing? Th- that It doesn't matter how we think or feel about it. The point is that it matters to God. God has made it abundantly clear uh, how he feels about the use of his name. And so um, you might say to yourself, it's just a turn of phrase. Um, you know, Carmen, you're overreacting. Um, but God has said that he takes direct offense when we take his name in vain. And so the name of God, according to Jesus, is to be hallowed, not hollowed out by casual reference or flippant, flippant uh, throwaway answers. And so, um, yes, I understand this is how a particular individual speaks, that it's his pattern of speech. That is the point. As Christians, we recognize the power of words and the invocation of God and God's name matters to God, and therefore it must also matter to us. God actually commands that we take his name seriously, not casually, and Jesus instructs us to make it a matter of the first order in our life of prayer. So today, let us not take God's name in vain. Let us hallow it, not hollow it out. All right, uh, I told you uh, yesterday, and I'm excited to share with you again, a pastor from Mississippi, Todd Tilgman, has uh, won The Voice. And so Paul has pulled up that audio. Let's listen to I Can Only Imagine. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, plugged in. Welcome back, sir. Hello, Carmen. All right. We haven't been avoiding conversation with you, but we have been recognizing that, you know, people aren't going to the movies, so it seems weird sometimes to, like, try to talk about it. So, um, but they're, but it's not, it's not forever. They're coming back. Talk with us about Scoob. I got to tell you, I'm kind of excited about Scoob. Well, I may no, end up don't pouring be a little bit of oh. cold water on Scoob. I'm I'm so sorry. Is so, Scoob uh, not Scooby Doo? No, Scoob is Scooby Doo. Um, you know, those of us of a, of a certain tender age who grew up in the the late '60s and '70s <clears throat> watching Scooby Doo will remember that Scooby and the Mystery Incorporated gang, of course, that's Shaggy and Fred and Velma and Daphne, uh, often pursued the answers to mysteries that seemed to have a supernatural component. You know, there'd be ghouls and goblins and other, you know, monsters whose name started with G. But in the end, it would always be a guy in a mask who was perpetrating a hoax who would say something to the effect of, and I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids, you know? Um, So it was a very, in some ways, it was a very modernistic show because it 
it flirted with supernaturalism and then ultimately completely rejected that. So the biggest deviation was Scoob, which is a new animated movie that is on various streaming services. It was supposed to come out in theaters. Uh, it came out last Friday. Uh, we didn't have a chance to see it until last Friday, which is why we're talking about it a week later. Um, this one takes a, a rather strange turn in that the bad guy here is a typical Scooby-Doo bad guy named Mr. Dastardly. He's looking for a treasure, but the treasure is in the underworld. And to get there, he has to go to the underworld. Uh, and so we have all sorts of underworldish, you know, creatures and vaguely spooky sort of demonic devilish things happening here. Now, it's kind of got a, a Greek mythology flair to it as well. Um, but I find it an interesting shift that, you know, now it's Scooby-Doo's taking the supernatural really seriously and not from a, a Christian perspective. So there's that. Uh, and they they flirt with profanity in a couple ways and there's some suggestive stuff. And so it just I think overall it felt like a disappointment to me, Carmen, that they took this beloved uh, animated icon uh, and and did things with the story that aren't really in keeping with the with the spirit of where the story came from. All right, so now probably not seeing that. Um, defending Jacob uh, is um, is a new TV show. I'm going to use the word TV show, even though it's on Netflix. Yeah. First of all, is no, that the right show. language for me to be using? Yes. Right. So TV show on Netflix, even though people aren't necessarily watching it on TV. And actually, it's on Apple TV Plus. I may have communicated that it was oh, on Netflix. No, that's good. Apple right, TV Plus. Same, same difference, different network, different provider. T and, tell us, know, this man, show, Defending Jacob. Yeah, this show is uh, – it stars Captain America, uh, Chris Evans, and Michelle Dockery from Downton Abbey fame. And uh, he is an assistant district attorney – who gets assigned a case of a, a high school kid who has been murdered. Uh, and it turns out his own son uh, is the prime suspect in the murder. And so it's kind of a, a twisting whodunit that uh, alternately seems to suggest that maybe his son is the killer or maybe not. Um, and so in some ways there's, there's nothing new here. We've had whodunits with twists and turns forever. But what is different with Netflix and Apple TV Plus and all these streaming services is that they can get away with content that we wouldn't see on network television. Now, it doesn't go crazy places, but there's a fair bit of violence here and a lot of profanity. Uh, and, you know, the joke in the Avengers series was that Captain America never said bad words, but Chris Evans doesn't have any problem doing that here. And sometimes I think we get sucked into the the buzz on a new show. And this one has been really generating a lot of buzz and a lot of coverage and we may not know what we're getting into. And so I think it's important for anybody who's intrigued by the premise to know that there's quite a bit of content here. This is an M rated show, which is the equivalent of a, an R rated movie. Um, it doesn't go as far as some things, but definitely things to be aware of here. Yeah. Thank you. And I think that the mental, you know, the, the, the language issue and then the mental hooks that get set in our minds, like we have to pay attention to that. We got to we need to be watching uh, what we watch, like thinking about it. In yes, advance. absolutely. All right. Um, I'm talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. When we come back, we're going to talk about the return of the drive in movie theater. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I will lose 
All right, the return of the drive-in. Adam Holtz, um, it occurs to me that as we want to get out, many of us are Googling, where's the closest drive-in near me? Um, The challenge we then immediately face is what is showing at the drive-in. Yeah, I mean, what's showing at the drive-in right now is not very much. Uh, And in fact, um, there's so little showing that Hollywood's theaters are offering old films to... uh, you know, to theaters to try to get people, you know, to remember what it was like to go to a movie. So depending on where you're at, you might have a chance to go see Back to the Future or Jaws uh, or Psycho or something of that nature. Uh, And it's sort of a glass half empty, glass half full proposition. Some of those films are old favorites from the past that we remember fondly. Um, but the problem with our memories, Carmen, as you probably know, and, and I certainly know, is sometimes we forget about some of the stuff that's in there. If you've watched Absolutely. Back to the Future recently, man, there's a lot of profanity in Back to the Future. And uh, I may have mentioned a, a while back my wife brought home Goonies on DVD. We still buy DVDs. And she was all excited. I said, OK, you just got to know there is more in here than you remember. And we lasted five minutes with our family because there was so much profanity. Uh, And so I think sometimes we have this narrative that with entertainment, things are just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And we can sort of block out uh, some of the things that were problems with with stuff from previous decades. And of course, Psycho is a classic, uh, you know, Hitchcock film, but (laughs) it's not a very nice story. (laughs) So uh, again, we, we still need to exercise discernment even when it comes to older stuff, that stuff doesn't get a pass. Um, but with the drive-ins coming back, I did some research on this. Uh, in the 1950s, it peaked at about 4,400 around the country, and now there are about 330. So there certainly aren't as many as there used to be. Uh, but it's a it's an interesting turn of events to be doing this old-fashioned thing and watching old movies. But as you know, the coronavirus has uh, has made life pretty weird right now. So that is that's what's happening. So I had that um, that experience of, oh, my, there are things in here I did not remember um, in suggesting that we as a family now remember, our kids are teenagers. So it's an, sure. an older teen. So um, but uh, a river runs through it. Like, oh, I, yeah. you know, I remember the storyline. <laughs> there's things about it that I've like, but I had completely forgotten how much well i i'm sure i never knew or never thought about it the language in it is uh wow and yeah there're just some things in that movie that i'm like i'm it provoked a lot of conversation um but it's not quite what i remembered no it's not and you know we tend to remember our emotions from a movie movies are are something that invite us to invest in them in that way and so you remember how a movie made you feel but you don't remember the content that's there. I mean, here's another one, Top Gun from 1986. It was on TV the other night, and you remember the emotion of listening to Danger Zone and you know watching Tom Cruise and his buddies fly these jets around, and and it is an adrenaline pumping machine, right? But you you may not remember you know how steamy one of the love scenes is with his love interest, Kelly McGillis. And again, there's just stuff that, that you block out, uh, which is why, as I said, we have to keep exercising wisdom and discernment, even with stuff from the past that may have created a great feeling when we saw it for the first time back in the day. 
Okay, so I have a get a, get this DVD recommendation for you. In 2003, there's a movie called Secondhand Lions. Uh-huh. If you've Okay, I I'm just going to go ahead and tell you I I am not a person who watches a movie twice like ever. Ever. I'm really? just I don't rewatch stuff. I if I already know the storyline, I just don't I find it uninteresting to watch it again. So there's I you know, things that I have watched twice or will then watch a third and a fourth time, things like The Sound of Music. Yes, absolutely. Right. Secondhand Lions, I I delightfully watch it multiple times. So there you go. And that I, it's, and who's it's in my, that? Because it's a it's a bunch of old guys, right? I, it, I vaguely it, remember it. It's a bunch of old guys and uh, and a kid. So um, oh, good. Yeah, Michael uh, Michael Caine is in it. Robert Duvall is yeah, in it. That's right. It's, it's filmed on a farm in Texas. There's a kid who is just excellent. I don't know his name. I'm sure I should. Um, so there you go. Fourteen <laughs> okay. year old Walter is the main character of the film. So. Josh Lucas is uh, is who Josh Paul Lucas. Perot is saying I should be paying attention to here as I say. Okay. All right. So uh, secondhand lions. That's my uh, that's my lift up to Adam Holt's uh, fan favorite movie that you should watch maybe with your family during the ongoing <clears throat> travail. All right. Um, what else should we talk about today? Um, I uh, when are the movies coming back? You got any idea? Uh, I do have an idea, but it's only an idea. So there's this big Christopher Nolan movie, Tenet, that has been uh, scheduled for release on July 17th. And everybody in the industry is really kind of on pins and needles to see, A, whether enough theaters are open to actually do it, and B, if they release it, whether anybody's going to come out to see it. And Mm. they're basically saying this is the, the canary in the coal mine or the bellwether, you know, pick your cliche of that ilk. Um, and if it does well, we will see, uh, you know, movies begin to return, assuming there's not another big wave and another big lockdown, but they're saying if it doesn't do well, the Hollywood studios are so skittish about what's happening that they may very well keep, you know, the long and growing list of blockbusters they've postponed, you know, from Wonder Woman to Top Gun and the list just goes on and on and on Black Widow, uh, maybe as late as Christmas. So, um, so it's just be real, can you tell us what the te- what's the tenet of tenet? Because well, you know that seems a, like a good question to ask. That's a it's a it's a mystery sort of thriller that nobody really knows much about. So okay, uh, it's a it's a Christopher Nolan movie, and if you've seen uh, Memento uh, or any of his other stuff, he likes to do uh, really brain twisting kinds of things and this looks like another one that will be of that nature so it's a i think it's a it's a crime ish thriller but they haven't really released much information about it but it's it's hotly anticipated because he's one of these directors that um you know tends to generate buzz so if christopher nolan can't get uh people to sit in theaters they're saying maybe nobody can Uh, I'll predict theaters are going to be full when they're reopened because there's just a lot of people who are ready. All right, Adam Holtz, thank you uh, so much. Uh, Everybody can check out what Adam's doing at PluggedIn.com. We appreciate the Ministry of Focus on the Family. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, let me just go ahead and say that this next topic is intense and complicated and critically important for us to 
uh, to be having. Uh, Rosie McKinney is going to be here. She is the author of Fight for Love, How to um, Deal with Porn Addiction in Our Marriages and in Our Families. Fightforloveministries.org is the website. Rosie McKinney is up next. Each day has a pop quiz, and some seasons are like final exams. Brutal, sudden pitfalls of stress, sickness, or sadness. What is the purpose of the test? This is Max Locato. James 1, verses 3 and 4 says, For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be strong in character and ready for anything. Test, test, test. This chapter in your life may look like rehab, smell like unemployment, sound like a hospital, but you're in training. God hasn't forgotten you. Just the opposite. He has chosen to train you. Forget the notion that God doesn't see your struggle. Quite the contrary. God is fully engaged. He is the potter. We are the clay. He's the shepherd. We're the sheep. He's the teacher. We're the students. Trust His training. You'll get through this. This is Max Lucado. Rosie McKinney is a writer, speaker, podcaster. Ten years ago, she entered the fight against her husband's compulsive porn use. Uh, You can connect with her at fightforloveministries.org. She's here to talk with us today about The Fight for Love, which is also uh, a book by the same title. Rosie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, it's delightful to have you here. This is a scary topic for a lot of people and, frankly, a word that a lot of people um, would still uh, imagine I should only be saying in hushed tones. But until we talk about it and we talk about it out loud and in public, we're going to continue to be afraid to talk about it. And and we're going to feel shame about the fact that it's happening in our households. And then we're not going to be empowered to fight against it, which I feel like is what you're calling us to. Absolutely. And you're you're so right in that not talking about it is part of the problem. So even people who aren't affected, if they can start talking about this issue, it's going to help everybody out. OK. And when you say uh, people who are not affected, um, I don't know who that is. Yeah. So let, <laughs> let's talk about the let's talk about the prevalence of porn um, and, and what you're learning, uh, what you have learned and what you're even learning in the release of this book, uh, you know, as the conversation broadens. Well, we're very lucky in the fact that we've got the data now because Josh McDowell um, commissioned the Abana study a couple of years ago on the pornography use in the American church. This is a massive study, and he discovered that 79% of Christian men who attend evangelical church regularly use porn. And he said 55% of married men are regularly using porn, and we've got huge numbers of women now using it, and our children are um, the largest number of the, uh, that, sorry, the largest user group of pornography are our 12 to 17-year-olds. As you say, this is a massive problem. This is affecting everybody. Um, all three of those uh, groups of people concern me. Um, husbands concern me. Women concern me. Children concern me. Um, where do you want to start in terms of a conversation about um, maybe the way 
maybe the way the fight is different for those three different groups of people. Um, and is it even a groups of people problem or is it pretty individualized? I think um, I think what might be most useful is to describe how you fight. Like Good. how can how we can approach this problem because there's such a message of hope out there. Freedom from pornography is possible. And I want to get that across straight off the bat. It is possible. You just have to know how to fight. And we have this assumption um, in the church at the moment that we need to appeal to the person who is struggling. We need to encourage them out of the shadows. And that's good. We need, do need to break the shame and make people aware that this is a very prevalent issue. However, the way that we're going to conquer this battle, the way that we're going to fight back and take ground is to appeal to those people who are in the lives of addicts, and normally this is the spouse, and say, you have a role to play. Not only are you being affected by your, by your husband or your wife's pornography use, but you are effective. You have a pivotal role to play in getting them into recovery. Because we have to understand that pornography addiction is just like any other addiction. It's a process addiction. By that, I mean the um, drug that you become addicted to are the chemicals that get injected into your brain when you do this activity, just like gambling. So when you approach it like this is a drug problem, you realize that the people around them have to come forward and say, hey, there's a problem here. You need help. And I'm the only one who knows that you're struggling with this and your brain's not working right at the moment. And there are many, many studies out now, over 45 neurological studies that prove how pornography is affecting the brain. So the addict's brain isn't working correctly. And this is why when we appeal to the addicts in churches and have these big, you know, men's breakfasts, porn and pancakes, they're not that effective. They help in breaking the shame. But in terms of getting people into recovery, they're not that effective. What we need is to talk to the wives, talk to the wives and get them to understand how to fight because I do believe that wives have been fighting really, really hard for so long, but fighting in the wrong way. We've been trying to compete with it. We've been trying to fix ourselves. We've been trying to ignore it. We've been trying to be more forgiving. And all those things will not help someone who is addicted. What you need to do are boundaries, very firm boundaries, drawing that line in the sand straight away as soon as you can. That's the best thing you can do. And that's how we fight this. Okay, well, let's talk about that. How how do I draw a firm boundary? Like what, when you say that, what does that mean? Great question. It means that you take a zero tolerance stance on pornography. It means that you, um, you make it very, very clear that uh, you cannot have a functional, healthy, intimate relationship and pornography. They are not compatible at all. One will, uh, the pornography will affect your marriage and it will progressively affect your marriage. There are studies that prove the longer porn is married, sorry, the longer porn is present in your marriage, the the worse that your relationship becomes. And women know this. We under, We just get it on a gut level that this is affecting us and it's getting worse and nothing we're doing is helping. So my whole mission, my whole ministry, and the reason that I'm doing this is because I want wives to understand that they don't have to wait until they're desperate, until they're in so much pain that they're on the brink of divorce and issue a de desperate ultimatum. They can do early intervention. They can set that firm boundary now in love while things are still relatively calm. And, and just say to your husband, I love you too much. I love our marriage too much. 
to risk this with pornography. So we're going to get help now. And if you're not able to reach out for help because your brain is so addled, I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to get help for myself. And I'm going to learn how to set those firm boundaries. Because, you know, your question was great. It's hard. It's hard to set boundaries. It's hard when you don't understand exactly why you're doing it, because you don't yet fully understand the ramifications of continuing in this um, addiction. And it's hard when you don't have support. So setting those boundaries is, it sounds simple, it sounds easy, but actually you need to be supported and you need to be educated in order to be um, effective. Well, absolutely, because I think the um, the temptation would be to suggest that I'm going to set a firm no tolerance, zero tolerance boundary. And then in doing that, I am going to, um, I'm going to threaten um, something that then I can't follow through on, right? I mean, I, I think that the temptation, the temptation is that yeah. I'm going to set a boundary, I'm going to do so in the wrong way, and then I'm not going to be able to follow through. And then the process is going to be, um, you know, it, it just, yeah. we make it harder on ourselves sometimes. Uh, I want to highlight the the ministry website, fightforloveministries.org. Um, I'm going to continue this conversation in just a moment. I'm talking with Rosie McKenney. The book is Fight for Love. Uh, the website is fightforloveministries.org. We'll be right back. We have talked about uh, the topic of pornography here on the program on several occasions. We know that it is epidemic in terms of uh, its its use. We, uh, we know that it is a problem within the church, and we know that it's a problem within our own homes uh, and some of us within our own hearts. And so talking with me today is Rosie McKenney. Um, her own home, her own marriage was invaded by uh, this enemy of pornography, uh, and and she and her husband, Mark, um, now work to equip others to fight for love uh, in our marriages, in our homes, and in our families. Uh, the ministry is fightforloveministries.org. That's the website. The book is Fight for Love. Rosie, um, let's talk about the impact that porn has uh, on the family, because this is really the why. Um, and then the why fight question is, I think, important, too. So, um, so what's the impact that it's that it's having, and then why why fight? Like, why imagine that that there's hope? Porn is the quiet killer of families. It slowly and progressively destroys trust and intimacy between mothers and fathers. And as I've said, studies have proven that the longer porn is present in a marriage, that the unhappier both spouses become. And going by current divorce rates, obsessive porn use contributes to over half a million divorces a year. And then we've got the effect on the children. Even if kids are not exposed to the risks associated with accidentally stumbling across, across pornography as a direct result of the parent's habit, they're still indirectly impacted by the marital conflict that it causes. Uh, this is huge. This is affecting everybody. And there are, you know, direct uh, risks associated, and there are the indirect risks associated. Um, not to mention the the increased likelihood that your children actually will become addicted themselves. So, 
this is worth fighting on all levels. And I say to women who are scared and they are fearful about coming forward and tackling this issue, they don't want anybody to know, but also they don't want to make waves. I say, this is affecting your children. And that's quite often the impetus that they need to actually get that out of their marriage, because the biggest gift that you can give your children is um, to have a porn-free household and have this open uh, atmosphere where you can discuss these issues. And if you are going through addiction, you need to tell your kids. They, you know, studies have proven that they know something is going on. They just don't know what. And quite often they start to blame themselves because of the tension in the air. They need to know, of course, in an age appropriate way, what is going on. And uh, it's the, the families that we've worked with where they have um, been open with their own kids, the transformation in that whole family system is amazing. And quite often kids have come forward with their own struggles and the whole family gets healed. This is worth fighting for. It really is. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we have um, fight for love. It's a biblical battle to help you stop um, uh taking actions that don't help uh, the situation in your own heart or in your own home um, and start doing the things that will help. Um, Rosie, let's give people a first step. Great. I would say we've just created a podcast for this very reason. It's a panel discussion show by wives for wives, and it answers all those questions that you have in those early days, those confusing, foggy days, like, is it my fault? Why does he do it when he says he loves me? What do I do? Who can I tell? Will I ever trust him again? So we take those questions. And this is this is real women who have walked this path. And that's what you need to hear. Nothing breaks the shame more than ideally being in a group with other women and seeing their beautiful faces and going, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. There must be nothing wrong with me. And really understanding that on a gut level that this is nothing to do with you. This is a, a, something that's going on in his brain. Um, so I would say reach out, get as educated as you can, start listening to other women talk about their experiences, start to understand what it's doing inside his brain and how it's making him view the relationship and just validate all your instincts. Because if you're in a relationship with someone who is compulsively using porn, likelihood is they're probably to some extent not consciously or maybe consciously gaslighting you and, and validating your instincts so that you kind of feel you're crazy. Is this my imagination? Is this making things worse? He says he's stopped, but I don't quite trust him because it's not just the betrayal that really devastates relationships. It's the deception and deception is part of addiction. And that's why it's so difficult, but it's also why there's so much hope and why there is uh, why it's worth fighting for because that trust can be rebuilt because although addicts are powerless over whatever it is they're addicted to lust or alcohol in those early days they are not powerless over deceiving they are not powerless about not telling the truth so this is how you get out of it by telling the truth and you know addicts need a strict rigorous structure to help them get out. They need people who have walked this path before them. You cannot do this on your own. And that's why going back to my very first point, your job is not to fix him. Your job is to get him to somebody who can, somebody qualified, somebody experienced, who can lead him out the swamp or lead yourself out the swamp or your kids out the swamp. Let's talk about um, how we find um, that person or that group. Talk with us a little bit about recovery. 
Um, I think that is language that we have tended to think, um, you know, about in some in relationship to some things and not in relationship to other things. Am I looking for a one on one counseling situation? Am I um, am I looking for a group? Um, And does that differ in terms of like, let's say, kids, teenagers uh, or, you know, adults? These are great questions. The first thing to understand about recovery is that pornography is not actually the problem. Pornography is the solution to a much deeper problem, which is an intimacy disorder. That's mm. what's going on. It's it's how we're using porn to medicate what's under the surface, and it has become our default coping mechanism. So the way out of this is not just removing the porn. You have to replace it with something, and what you replace it with is true, authentic intimate relationships with other people. And for guys, this means getting in a group of guys. For women, it means getting in a group of women. For teens, it means getting in a group of teens. And these groups have to be led by somebody who is a sober, experienced, has walked this path, knows what they're doing. Ideally, if you've got the resources, get yourselves individual individual counseling, get your get your spouse individual counseling, get yourselves both in groups. Because in these groups, you, it's like a laboratory for intimacy where you learn the skills, you learn how to tell the truth about yourself, you learn how to tell the truth about other people, you learn how to hear the truth. And that's, for a lot of us, that's not what we learned when we were growing up. This is not natural to us and we do have to learn how to do it. But once you've got those skills, you apply them back to your marriage and it utterly transforms. And this is what I really want to get across. This is not just your same old marriage minus the porn. No, this is a whole new marriage with a spouse who's now functioning at their potential with far more capacity to be intimate and authentic and joyful and satisfied you don't even know who you're married to if you're married to a porn addict at the moment. I didn't know who I was married to. And, you know, praise the Lord. He was so much more than who I thought he was. Um, and mm. so I just want to emphasize that it, it, the way out is so simple, telling the truth, but it's not easy. And this is why you need help, why you need support, why you can't do this on your own. And also why trying to compete with it it's never going to work. And wives need to hear that because 75% of wives at some level believe that it's their fault. And if your husband was an alcoholic, you wouldn't try and become the bottle of vodka. You Mm. cannot compete. You cannot compete. Stop trying. Start fighting in the right way. Put those boundaries up. Get help. Get educated. So helpful. Um, Rosie McKenney is available to you. You can find her at fightforloveministries.org. You can connect there with the podcast, the book, um, help answers to your questions. Uh, fightforloveministries.org. The book is Fight for Love. Rosie, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. All right, as we enter into Memorial Day weekend, uh, I want to wa- offer you a little um, positive. Oh, walk off. I don't have time. All right, check out, just Google. Um, Captain Tom Moore, he's been knighted. It's just a great story. All right, um, so have a great weekend. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.